Welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. My name is Shania and I am tonight's co-host. I am currently a junior at NYU. I am from the Boogie Down Bronx and I am studying drama at Tisch. And finally, I am an RA in Gramercy Green. And I'm Tom Ellett, the <laughs> other co-host and serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Welcome, Shania. How is life on the big stage for you? Tom, life on the big stage. I haven't been doing much performing, but okay. I definitely I auditioned for Dear Evan Hansen the musical last Sunday. It was so exciting. No, like the one on Broadway? <laughs> the one on Broadway. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, um, it was an open call. It was an all-day process. I was there from around like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. But I finally got called in. I sang my song. I said my goodbyes. It was a wonderful experience. So do you sing the songs from Dear Evan Hansen or do you bring something else? Um uh, they said to bring something else. Okay. I brought something else. What'd you um, sing? Oh, uh, what did I sing? Oh, I, I sang something from the musical Emily. Uh, yeah, What Dreams Are Made Of. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They treat you well? Oh, they did. I mean, when I walked, by the time I got called and it was like already 5 p.m. and the guy looked half asleep. He had like a big pile next to him. But I said, hi, how are you? Wow. You know, introduced myself. But... Oh, but you got so out many there, people. I did. and once you get your name out there, the chances are just going to start yeah. speeding up for yeah. you. Yeah, and then I have an audition in two weeks for Kinky Boots. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not on Broadway anymore. It's not on Broadway. So um, it's a tour? Yeah, it's it's the theater. They're, the Fulton Theater is doing their own production of Kinky wow. Boots, non-equity. Wow. That's so exciting. That is really good. Yeah. So you're really pushing it out there. <laughs> I'm trying to make it alive out here. <laughs> I am glad to hear it. And yeah. RA life going well? RA life is awesome. We just had our Jamaican Me Crazy program Love last it. night. We had a ton of Jamaican food. We had a lot of residents from the Caribbean. We played a Caribbean trivia. It was so much fun. That's So great. much fun. Yeah. You have great energy and it's going to be so helpful for tonight's guest. Oh, Who is yes. tonight's guest? Well, we have a great guest tonight. Um, tonight our guest is Jordan Woods Robinson who served as an RA in Brittany Hall for Brian Arau during the 05 to 06 academic years. Welcome, Jordan, and thank you for joining us on this show. It is absolutely a pleasure having you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Shania. Thanks, Tom. Um, it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, great. So, Jordan, we know that you've graduated from NYU. Tell us a little bit of what you've been up to since graduating. Yeah, so I graduated in 2006. I actually graduated a semester early. I was a class in 2007. Oh, wow. I did some summer courses. I did some other stuff. And I did all of that specifically because in my junior year of college, I auditioned for Blue Man Group. And I I went in and I made my way through the callbacks and then they told me they wanted me to go into training. But they said the training process is six weeks long and you can be cut at any point. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want me to drop out of school and then to also not make it through training and then to have my life be over, which is actually very <laughs> Yeah. So I I finished up, I kept in touch with them and yeah, like I said, I you know, I, I kinda busted my butt to finish a semester early. And so I graduated in December of two thousand six and within about three weeks I was in training for Blue Man and now wow. I've been doing that for the past thirteen years. Wow. But now yeah, but so I've been doing that full time. I've done that in New York. Las Vegas, Chicago, Boston, and now I live in Orlando doing the show here. No um, way. And then, and I, yeah, and since I moved to Orlando, I've done a number of film and TV appearances as well. I've, I've started to get into the film and TV side of acting, and I'm digging it. I love it. So, so right, that's, that's yeah. That's what my life is right now. I got 
got a wife and two kids, and I live in Orlando, Florida. That is the dream, Jordan. And we're going to unpack all of that acting career. We're going to start off, though, with a little bit about your time here in Washington Square. And I remember it vividly because you did some extracurricular activities, which we'll talk about too. But what did you study and what, we'll give a precursor, what studio were you in as well? studio. <laughs> what did you use in the inside, inside lingo for, for Tish? So <laughs> I was at Tish in 2003 to 2006, and I studied in Playwrights Horizon uh, studio. Quick for, snaps to that. That's my current nice. studio. Shout out to Playwrights. Wait, which, which group are you in? Uh, uh-oh. I don't know. This is a deal breaker. I'm So I was in Orange Group. Were you in Orange? Yeah. An orange. <gasps> wow. Oh my goodness. And then I ended up in company one. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was orange and then I stayed. So and, and Tom and everybody else, like there's no color coding does not mean anything. It was just yeah. the, the way that the classes are broken up. There's right. about, there's probably about 70 people coming in at a time. So mm-hmm. they split that up mm-hmm. into like five or six groups in order to have only 12 to 15 people in a group for your freshman year. And it just allows you to fill out for a little bit more of a safe space, you know, because like right. lots of people are coming in from high school. They built up certain habits, whether those be good or bad, as to how they approach acting and, and collaboration and all of the stuff. And so for that first year, they really make sure that we're in a smaller group and that we're always with that same group so that we can really build trust with each other and and get to have our own little group of collaboration and then you start to break out of that and, and meet with other groups and all that but yeah mm-hmm. i was in orange and then i also studied at etw and i did i think in my time at nyu i did seven main stages oh wow um, you are a superstar a here number yeah and it was, <laughs> you know it was also because i'm a musician as well and so some of the shows i would be an actor some of the shows i'd be a musician some of the shows i would be an actor playing music. Some of the shows I'd be the music director, you know, so it all just kinda I got to I got to stretch a whole bunch of different muscles. Um, but then that leaded that led to me getting to study with a classical studio and some other stuff like that. So I got to go all around and study all the different well, a lot of the different studios at NYU, which is cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And I also love that Tish gives us gives us that option of like whether we wanna explore other studios and like we do have to do those primary trainings which are mandatory, but after those two years we have the option to like, you know, explore other studios, which I think is a really nice pro of Tish. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in the acting world, it's kind of like religion. Everybody's saying the same thing, but all just saying different ways of getting there, right? And so I, I think Tish has done a pretty great job at that, of saying, yeah, here are seven, or, well, in my time, it was seven. How many studios are there in Ashmanet? I believe there are still like seven. Primary. There's ETW, NSB, Meisner, Playwrights. I believe there are still seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then they say, like, look, you know, we're going to put you into one group again in order to, like, build a, a foundation and groundwork for yourself. But then you can and should go out and explore other other theories, other philosophies about this, because it, at, at the end of the day, we're all just working together to, like, build a toolbox so that, you know, you can be ready to tackle any different project that comes your way. Kind of like being an RA. So tell us about that, Jordan. So you're doing so much theater in your undergrad. What made you want to do the RA position? What made me want to do what? The RA position. Oh, be an RA. 
well. <laughs> oh, um, well. First and foremost, the, the free rent and the meal plan. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's free. That's the free. number one incentive. Nothing's free. <laughs> you worked for it. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, I wasn't going into psychology. I wasn't going into, you know, any anything where an RA position necessarily needed to be on my resume, right? So, like, I, you know, just to be frank, like, it was not an opportunity for me to have a paid internship that would also lend to the skills that I've been learning while at NYU, right? It wasn't, it was a non sequitur for the most part, but I, I did want to do it because it is, again, it's more of, it's a collaboration thing. It's a community thing. And even now, like I've, I've got an acting studio down here in Orlando and I work oh. with as a mentor to upcoming actors all the time. Right. And, and there's a similar manifest being an RA where you're not, you're not the boss by any means, but you are just, uh, you can be a great source of information. You can be a great source of mediation. You can be a great source of information. Mm-hmm. I understand information twice. Mm-hmm. But to, to be able to just be in that position where if someone is showing up into a situation or an environment or something where they just don't have a lot of, that they aren't completely comfortable, just to be in the position of being an RA and just be able to be like, yeah, cool. I got, I've got some information. Let's see if that would be helpful to you. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, I enjoyed being the RA that would like walk me to a party and be like, guys, I don't want to write. This. I really don't want to. <laughs> yeah. But if if I if I can't hear you, then I'm not going to write you up, right? Exactly. Like, like, chill out a little bit. Right? I know. Yeah. But like, it's not, it's not about cracking down on the rules, and it's not about. For me, it wasn't. It wasn't about like, you know, it was about being just a just a person that had slightly more experience than and I was in a freshman dorm so it was really helpful for me to be like I'm a guy that just has two or three more just more experience two or three more years experience than you and I can just help cut through some of that learning curve right and for me that's what it was all about and right. I, I and enjoyed it you you were an RA uh, in Brittany Hall right I was yeah so what, what was it like to like work on the staff team in Brittany Hall especially like in a freshman dorm because currently I I'm in one of the true halls which is an upperclassman hall and I know like sometimes navigating a, a fire and a true they can both be different so what was it like just working in Brittany I really enjoyed my time in Brittany and yeah I think there's probably I don't have any comparison but I'm sure there's a huge difference between being a freshman RA and being an upperclassman RA mm-hmm but I, I really enjoyed it. First of all, Brittany was like right in the middle of everything. So I was two blocks away from Tish. I could just walk there and, and you know, walk back and forth. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Amazing. <laughs> and just seeing all the different walks of life of people coming in. But the RAs themselves all had that certain... Brian Arau, my, my boss, was just a, a huge caregiver, right? He really loved, like... It was his mission just to make sure that people were were content and were fulfilled in life, and he's very passionate about that. With you know, especially with the freshmen who are coming in, and just making sure that they feel like they are safe and loved, and that they can go explore, and that we will still have opportunities for them back at the hall and having different uh, engagement things and making sure that we went out and we did certain sightseeing explorations around the town and all that good stuff. And so the community there was very involved. We had weekly meetings. I think everyone had, just about everyone had co-RAs. So we actually had two RAs to each floor in almost every situation, almost every floor, which also led to, again, just more collaboration and more community building than maybe some of the other halls and I remember he was very interested in the arts 
it allowed me to take lots of liberties with the role because, like I said, I was constantly working on shows and I had to miss multiple RA meetings and mm-hmm. stuff like that. He was mm-hmm. always he always gave me an eye roll, but he was like, eh, <laughs> "It's okay, go ahead." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you gain from the RA role that you were able to take? into what you're doing today, uh, either working in the studio or in front of the audience? I'd say, first of all, like being an RA, it's one of my first times that I had to just be a mediator up until my life before that. I never had to just sit in a room between two people and, and maybe be the person who introduced a topic that maybe just resulted in awkward silence for a little while, but eventually led to two people having a conversation. I'd never, in, in life, I'd never been in that position before. And and again, it wasn't necessarily about being authoritative. It was more so about just learning how to be a, a non-self-serving person. I've grown up my whole life not really being, I, I lived in the middle of nowhere. I grew up in Tennessee. I had, I never played baseball or football or any of those team sports. So a lot of my decisions that I've made throughout my life and a lot of decisions that I do still make I'm very selfish in a, in a very specific way, you know, and, and it's not necessarily always in the bad connotation, but just that I make a lot of choices based off of my gut, and I trust my gut over maybe sometimes what other people say I should do. Mm-hmm. And being an RA was an opportunity to sit down and say, great, okay, this is not about me. I don't have an objective here. I'm going to be a team player. I'm going to sit down and make sure that these roommates are open and communicative so that they can continue being roommates for the rest of the year and feeling like, you know, that that there's no unresolved tension left between them and stuff like that. And just, I I think, starting to introduce myself to being a team player and and having those realizations that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very often not about me. If you make it about other people, then the, the, the entire community starts to flourish and become a uh, become a stronger unit. And um, But I, I, I think that's probably one of the major things that I took from being an RA. Right, yeah. And, and also, um, Jordan, like I, I think you can agree with me on this. A lot of what we do in the theater is collaborating and always working with other people. And I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, being an RA, you have to attend like your weekly meetings. You have to, you know, work at the RC and say hi to residents and, you know, provide residents with resources and, you know, you're always there for them. And I think being an RA definitely helps with like the collaboration aspect and just putting yourself out there. Especially me, I... um. I would say I'm a bit shy outside of the theater world. Like once I get into character, I'm full on ready to go, ready to hit the stage. But, you know, as Shania, outside of my character, outside of that acting life, I am shy. And and I think like public speaking also helped, like, you know, being an RA, navigating like your floor meetings. Like that was the most terrifying part of being an RA for me. Just, oh, God, like I have this floor meeting coming up. What am I going to say? And I think that also helped me as an actor to, you know, discuss things and, and be able to just communicate with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. Let's talk a little bit about life in the acting world. What, what first, you, know, you grew up in Tennessee. What made you think about acting as a career? So I grew up a bluegrass fiddle player in Tennessee and worked for most of my young life from, I had a job from about eight. To 18 in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which is like the Las Vegas of the Smoky Mountains. And I worked at a, a number of different theaters around there playing fiddle. But then it was, I went to a summer camp up in upstate New York called Stage Door Manor. 
and I, I went there for several summers, and it's led by theater professionals, usually from New York City. And in about three weeks, you get cast, rehearsed, and put on a, a, a full show, right? And then the parents come and watch the show for three days, and then everybody tears everything down, and then you start the semester. You start the next semester. Um, and, and Jordan, where was where exactly where where exactly was this uh, upstate? Because I also have family from upstate, too. Oh, okay. It's called it's called Stage Show Manor. It's right in the Catskills. Some of the nearby cities are. Liberty and Monticello. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, middle of nowhere. Just like a whole resort. <laughs> just you know, a bunch of performing arts. 60s, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but a really, like, lots, lots of actors have started there as young actors. But then it was during one specific performance, one of my last years when I was turning 18, we were taking a bow. And I just remember, like, being at the front of the stage and turning around and, and seeing my director and all the other stuff and just saying, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. So then I actually took a year off between high school and college in order to take some time and to save up and work a couple jobs. And then I applied to NYU and got in. And, but that, I mean, again, it was like, it was out of trusting my gut. I didn't necessarily go into the system and start a degree somewhere just because I knew Mm -hmm. that's what I was supposed to do at a certain age. I went against the grain and I didn't do anything for a year except for work and until I found that decision that I thought was right for me. And looking back on it, I think that's one of the better decisions I've ever made was to not just rush into something and start getting a degree because that's what is expected of me, but rather to say, and especially as an artist or as an RA, like, you know, most of your job is about being impulsive and listening to what's around you and when the opportunity strikes to you know present itself then then you strike and to be open to not having to always follow the same path each time and trusting that your gut is you know the, the best instinct that you have and so i did that and i've been really i've been very fortunate and happy about it and it's never felt like a job i've been inspired the whole time because i you know, if I'm not I'm not interested in music right now, so I put it on the back burner and trust that when I come back to it, it'll be even more passionate than it was when, you know, if I had just said, okay, no, I need to start practicing again. I need to get back into it because if anything ever starts to feel like a, a job, it becomes mechanical, and mm-hmm. and then that's when that's when you start to get burnt out on stuff. Right. Yeah. And I think especially as a student in playwrights, we we were offered an education that's so, you know, we get training in directing and and acting and Mm -hmm. design. And it's just how can you not be open to all of these things, you know? So especially me, I like coming from, you know, I studied musical theater for four years in high school. And once I got accepted into NYU, especially into the playwrights studio, I was a bit upset because, you know, mm-hmm. I came in here thinking I was going to do one thing and one thing only. But now as a junior, okay. especially as an RA, I'm so much more open to like new possibilities and new design. And, and it's just, yeah, it's a wonderful thing to, to be open-minded. You mentioned the idea of a burnout. You've been doing Blue Man Group for numerous years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you keep it... Uh, alive, active, and creative for you. Uh, I know it sounds like you've been on different casts where you've gone from different cities, but but how does it mm-hmm. stay alive for you? It's a great question. And luckily for me, the character itself, the Blue Man character, lives permanently within this place of not 
knowing or not expecting what's about to happen and for experiencing everything for the first time. And arguably, that's true with any performance you see. It should always appear to be unfolding in real time, right? But especially for the Blue Man character, like, we actually thrive on failure. If something fails during the show, then we have to figure out how to make it work again. And for the actors, that can be a little... Mm-hmm. a little blessing for us to be like, hey, we just got out of our normal routine. Something else is going on. And it, there's a lot of audience interaction, and the audience is definitely our fourth character. And so in that respect, where we are actually you know, performing a show with completely different char- other, other characters every night because they, meaning the audience, they have their own energy and their own story that they're bringing to this. Um, but, you know, th- with that being said, like, it, it's not. It hasn't been 13 years of, uh, you know, perfection and feeling like a joy ride every night. You know, there. I think it's true with anything. There's always a point where, no matter what you're doing, even if it is a dream job, starts to feel like work. It might be because of something going on at work. It might be something because of something else going on in your life. Whatever. But with Blue Man, I strive to, and it's an impossible task, but I strive to allow for all of that baggage to stay with me as a person right up until the show starts. If I don't if, if I don't want to be there that day, I don't try to I don't try to hide it. I don't try to cover up for it. I don't try to put on any falsities. And instead I allow that to be there and allow that to be true to me until the show starts. And then I allow it all to melt away because the character is non judgmental and the character doesn't have any preconceived notions as about as as to what's about to happen and so i find that on days when i'm having a hard time i usually walk away from the show feeling like whatever was going on with me beforehand was not a big deal and i can just shrug it off and say okay great then the the show can be fairly therapeutic and i can walk away feeling like a better person and a a a less weighed down person than maybe when i showed up that day so that's a Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. for a person to be to have a job like that for 13 years is quite incredible because you do hear about lots of people getting falling into a routine falling into a rut and after 13 years of that that can seem you know that that is what leads to burnout but with blue man if you're truly open to the experience then it can actually be what lifts you out of other stuff that's that's going on in your life which is not you know yeah and and jordan i was uh, this was actually a conflict that i i was having myself as an actor like I, I actually brought it up to my acting teacher because you know playing the same part and the same role and just the same scene it can become repetitive sometimes and it's like how do i as an actor continue to bring in new new explorations and and have this like constant curi- uh, curiosity without getting bored and tired of the scene and so I think if you if you do have a passion for this and if you do really if you do like what you're doing and I just think that you should continue to find new possibilities. Yeah. And so you spoke a little about what it was like being on stage in the Blue Man group. How does that change for you from being in a film or a movie? And do you have a preference? Do I have a preference? I <laughs> I can't say yeah. It, it's tricky like I mean the, I don't I think I have a preference, but they are very different muscles. Mm-hmm. So since I've moved down to Florida, I, I've gotten to do several some TV projects. Most notably, I did four seasons of The Walking Dead, which comes in Atlanta. 
which I we will talk about. Small. I'm so excited to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, more. You know, uh, also notably, I was in the Hunger Games, but that's one of those like blink and you'll miss me kind of experiences. Right. And then a number of other shows and films in between, getting to work with some incredible talents like Claire Danes and Anthony Hopkins, Octavia Spencer, like just getting to have the opportunity to be on set with them and. Here's a cool parallel between acting and being an RA is that sometimes when you're showing up on set and let's say you just have a really small role. Let's say you have, you know, let's say you have one line. Great. It happens all the time in film and TV. You have one line and you're showing up and you're doing all this work to figure out how you're going to bring this one line to life. But actually, one of the ways that you're getting in your own way is saying the audience is not thinking about you and your one line in this in this mm-hmm. particular instance your one line is there to help the audience learn learn more about the main character right They're, they are learning something about the main character and so how can you help that story how can you support that story how can you help tell that story even with just your your small role right, right. and so as, as an actor being on set it's been very cool to you know luckily i've been i've been lucky enough to have larger roles and to actually have dialogue with people and to show up and to to have ongoing scenes where it's not just necessarily about the main actor but it, it i have a point of view in that instance as well and getting to just watch them and getting to watch them support my story and in turn try to help support their story this person who's done dozens of films and decades of work and yet here we are working on the on the same you know inches from each other working on telling the same story and that's it's a very humbling experience but it's also proof that we have equal importance in that moment right and even if it's my first day on set or anything like that like we are we are working together to tell the story and we are both here because other people said we need both of you to tell the story now similar with being an ra i would imagine that like it's only in those times when you're focused on how am I going to be the best RA? How am I going to support this community, bring stuff to it? And it's when you step back and say, it's actually not about me right now. It's about how is my small role, and you know, I'm using small because it compares mm-hmm. to the, the film and TV thing, but like, how is my small role going to support everyone else around me? And when you step back and look at it that way, then it can actually, most of the answers most of the questions are answered for you and you step back and you look at the individuals that with whom you're working and maybe some people have different skill sets than others and using those different skill sets to help put together events or organizing certain things or leading communication and if you can actually have them be leaders within their own community and to help support the others then then they can all work together and actually it, it will start to sustain itself rather than you feeling like you're the glue that holds everything together we like tangents tell me about the okay, prep good. the preparation for being on a set for film compared to blue man group or any other theatrical production you've done uh, how different is it from the audition process through the daily grind of four seasons on a tv yeah. show yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's extremely different. So with Blue Man, I know the show. It's in, you know, I can perform the show in my sleep. It is, it's, uh-huh. it's there inside yeah. and out. There's, you know, after doing something for 13 years, it less so than like knowing the show. It's more about knowing the character, being in the character's body, being able to just on a on a switch, being able to bring that to life, right? Um, because then you can exist within anything. 
But as for film and TV, it's much different because it's very often not even the actor's medium. Very often the story isn't, well, 100% of the time, the story isn't finished until the director and the editor have sat down with all of the footage that they got and that they have spliced it together to tell the story that they want to tell, right? And so as an actor, almost every take you do is a new rehearsal. It's a new opportunity to discover new things. And you might work on one three-page scene for six hours Mm -hmm. in a day. You might perform that scene 20, 25 times in a row, if not more. And from all different angles and with the director and with the other actors, having new revelations in between takes and offering new opinions. And, you know, uh, it is a true collaboration that you show up on set thinking that you know certain things about this character, but then the, the, the costume designer hands you something that is completely true to her, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that is, that is now true to your character because she is also telling the same story to you. And the, the set designer has painted the walls different colors than you'd expected and has, and the lighting has made it later in the day than you'd expect. And this is all, no matter how many expectations you had, giving yourself over and saying, okay, now, now all of this is true. Um, and I told a lot of my actors to prepare to 99% because you, first of all, as an actor or as an RA or as a person in life, you can never work to 100%. No one's ever truly at 100% until they die, right? And so you're if an actor thinking that you've fully prepared something, then you're wrong unfortunately (laughs) uh, uh, you know to to just continue working to 99% and no matter how much you continue working it will never be 100% but then once you show up on set you're allowing everyone else to fill in that last 1% for you and being open to your other actors and to the other designers and to the director and now your work is done you found your 99% this next 1% is play this 1% is allowing others to affect your story to bring those new impulses to mind and to and you know your job is to step back and to allow all of it to unfold in front of you and it continues to do that all day, every day when you're on set. Sometimes you film one episode without knowing what you're going to be working on the next episode. And you just have to trust that this story in front of you now is correct. And there's, you know, everyone is working together to find it. And then we will all come together next week in order to find the next story. And that's very different from a theatrical play where everyone is still working together to tell the story. But they are, you know, each performance is an opportunity to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into the minutia of these characters of this world and to find those smaller and smaller moments um, over time. Whereas when you're on a film set, you have those few hours to find everything you can about that scene and then to trust that everything is there and to move on and to fully dive into the next battle. <laughs> right, yeah. And then, Jordan, I like with this topic of not knowing, I know a lot of us here, you know, I'm going to be graduating next year. I have a couple of friends in Tish who are going to be graduating this year. And mm-hmm. so what advice would you give to uh, graduating students or, or in this case graduating RAs who want to become actors, who want to become a part of the performing world, but... Because, you know, you just never know with with the role as an actor. You just never know what jobs you're going to get. You don't know how long this job is going to last. So what advice yep. do, you, do you have for that? My two big things that I 
would rely on are in the beginning, say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. Everything is a new opportunity, right? And that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but say yes to everything. If if it's a good learning experience, fantastic. If it's a bad learning experience, fantastic. After that, trust your gut 100%. No one, Mm -hmm. one thing I do firmly believe is that actors are, we are small businesses. We're actually startup businesses. And even when you make it to be a, a level celebrity actor, you never go beyond being a startup business because no one knows you better than you know you. You can't just hand off your role to another CEO who's going to run your business for you. You are the person who's calling the shop and it will never stop being that. And so trust your gut because you you're you are your own company. And if something doesn't feel right, don't do it. If mm-hmm. something does feel right, make it happen. That's Great right. your naivete. I have so many things, I have so many auditions that I have done that I went in there and I made some stupid, huge choice that I would never make now. Now that I look back on it, it makes me shudder, you know? But I would go in there and I would do it because I didn't know any better. <laughs> because I would say, no, this is, this is what I need to do right now. This is right for the character. This is right for me. Um, you know, another way to say it is like, Scientifically, bumblebees shouldn't be able to fly. Their wingspan is not enough to lift the mass of their bulbous bodies. But bumblebees don't know that they're not scientifically able to fly, and so they fly because that's what they do. Yeah, and knowledge is the death of naivete. The more you learn about something, the more you actually have to work against it because the more you learn what's expected of you the more you learn how things are supposed to go how things are supposed to be the less you will be innovative the less you will challenge things and the less you will be able to serve what it is that you're actually going for so trust your naivete and trust your gut and go forth and take over the world fantastic advice i know our listeners are going to want to know a little bit about the walking dead anything memorable you want to share about that experience with our listeners yeah, so The Walking Dead said, before I showed up, I had heard, like, you know, welcome to the family. And I was like, oh, that's cute. They they think of themselves as family and, and what, you know. But it's absolutely true. They, like, everyone was so warm and welcoming. I think my theory is, you know, that the show has so many people, or so, the, the stories are so intense that if, if these actors didn't go out of their way to make jokes and to show love and to be warm and supportive of each other in between takes, that it would just be, everyone would feel like they were actually in the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It's just so saturating to, to be there that it, it just, you know, in order to find the opposite of that, it just means that everyone has a, a saturated amount of humanity and connection when the cameras aren't rolling. And I think that's so important, and it was such a cool experience for me to be on set to to get to meet all these people and just to see how how warm everyone is and and, and how they really are there to, to support each other the entire step of the way. Um, one of my favorite memories was uh, my last oh, spoiler alert, my last day <laughs> on set. <laughs> uh, my character uh, died in the beginning of season eight. Oh no. And I had this beautiful scene um, where I was saying goodbye to my partner. And, you know, of course, the scene is written that we're not actually saying goodbye, but both of us know it's goodbye because I'm dying. And it was beautiful that it, it just felt like 
it's not like the whole world stopped. I mean, it's a huge crew. It's a huge cast. There's about 60 people behind the cameras that nobody ever sees at any given time, between 60 and 100 probably, if they if they have a particularly heavy day. And we, we were having a very intimate scene under this tree. And to be able to just say, hey, you know, would everybody mind just like maybe for 30 seconds before we before we start the scene, would everybody mind just maybe giving us a little bit of space, you know, and just letting mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. be together. And everyone would do that. As soon as the camera started rolling, everyone would just be quiet and respectful and back off and just they would they would put all of their time and attention into us so that we could have the space in order to fully explore that scene. And that, you know, that kind of support and that kind of love was, you know, that you don't, you don't find that in just anywhere you go. So that was really lovely. And, and one more thing that just came to mind was the warmth that, so I showed up on set with Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> and one thing I remember about him was, and this, I'll never forget this, he showed up on set. And before he walked up to the director, before he walked up to the other actors, and before he started rehearsal for the day, he walked around the giant space and gave a personal handshake and a look in the eye and a good morning to each and every cast member and PA and assistant and every other person that was in the space. And just just imagine, like, Anthony Hopkins walking up to you and asking you how your dinner was oh, last night and, and how your daughter is <laughs> feeling this morning and all that stuff. And just making it about everyone else before he started to do his job, you know? And I think that that is, that's something that really just just shook me to my core and it made me step back and go, wow, that's, that's true humility. Now, it'd be a very different thing <laughs> I, Jordan Wish Robinson walked onto a set and before the director could give before rehearsal, I walked around and like shook everybody's hand and said, good morning, how are you? And I added 15 minutes to the day. It would not go over with the same impact. So I'm not telling everybody to go out and like shake everybody's hand. But just, you know, when you're in that position of power, when you're yeah. in that place where everyone looks to you, it, it means the world when you give that look back. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That's definitely some great advice, Jordan. And what what work are you most proud of as of today? Oh God! Well, I got two kids. <laughs> What's the, oh, <laughs> family first. Good man. Good yeah. man. First. I'm trying. It's so hard. I'm a workaholic, you guys. I often think of myself as a shark. Where I'm like, if I stop swimming, I feel like I'm drowning. Um, but I use the swimming analogy all the time. I I, I think yeah. yeah, we use it all over in Tish. We're swimming, yeah. but we might be drowning. So you never know. But yeah. it's an impossible goal to put others before you. But when I find that I have been able to like focus time on my kids and let work go away for a little bit, like, I mean, they're, I've got some pretty cool kids. I'm not going to lie. And I, I think it's, you know, I, first of all, I treat them as adults. You know, mm-hmm. I give them, mm-hmm. I, there, there's, there's never a simple quick answer to anything you know I, I i don't just say no because i feel like kids hear it all the time that you say no and the reason why is because i'm an adult and you're a kid like that's that's not a thing right, <laughs> you know it's the right, same thing yeah. as i get i get so aggravated when like a young person will be holding the door for somebody and this happens to my daughter all the time for some reason she'll mm-hmm. be holding the door for somebody and they'll walk through and they'll say oh be careful princess and oh, i just want to no. like hmm. i want to i want to <laughs> just grab them and shake them and be yeah. like 
first of all, she's not a princess. Secondly, right. say thank you. Yeah, like she's yeah, a simple thank you will suffice. And I have said that to people sometimes, and they give me this look like I'm crazy. And I'm like, there is no reason to teach this daughter that like holding a door is dangerous. Right. She is holding it because she is going out of her way to be a good person for you. And and all you have to say is thank you. And uh, you know, I, and so I treat all of my relationships with, with younger people, younger actors, all like that, because it's like there's, there's no reason why my opinion is any stronger than anybody else's. And if I'm going to say no to, a, to something, then it's because we're going to talk about all of the different options. And then I will make a decision, but it'll be after we have a conversation as to why I made that decision and how we can make a different decision next time and all that other stuff, right? Like, so far, I think my, my kids are my greatest challenge and will hopefully be my greatest victory. <laughs> That's great. Uh, we're going to transition to shout-out time to any of your alums. Do you stay in contact with any of the RAs that you worked with, either in Brittany or across the system during your time here? We, Yeah, I can't say that we text and call all the time, but <laughs> I'm friends with just about everybody on Facebook, which is oh, a, a lovely way to just have a, a little random, you know, pop in and say, oh, hey, there you are, you know, and so... Uh, but no, I, especially being out of Orlando or being you know in Orlando, out of New York, where we were, then I think we've all kind of scattered to the wind. I will say, however, I was not a we were in different dorms, but I was not a at the same time as Donald Glover. And look where that guy is. I, we're working to get him on the show. We are working. That's <laughs> okay, for sure. All right. Yeah. It's time for speed round. Shania, you want to start Ooh, off? Speed round. Ooh, yes. Okay. So, Jordan, best dining hall yeah. at NYU. Oh, Dumpty. <gasps> really? Fa- uh, favorite NYU professor. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. No, you have to think back. No, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Sorry. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Next question. Any celebrity sightings as an NYU student? Oh, sure. Yeah, I worked with several of them. But uh, Michael Cerberus, Janine Garofalo, mm-hmm. um, David Hyde here. These are all names that today's people are going to be like, who? What? Who cares? So, <laughs> all good. Don't know Michael Cerberus, yeah. though. Michael Cerberus. No, no. <laughs> Finally, what was your most memorable RA experience? Mm, my most memorable RA experience? Oh, oh I don't want to end the show on a downer. Oh, oh no, don't do no. that. No. Positive, memorable I mean, RA it's, experience. <laughs> it's it's real though. I mean, it is. It's memorable. Is that I failed to break the whole party, and as a mm. result, at around three a.m., I ended up going to the hospital with some girl with alcohol poisoning and and passing out. You know, so that's on me. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I also think, you know, like, even as, like, because this is my first year as an RA, too, there's some hesitance, like, whether or not I'm doing this right, or if I'm doing it wrong, or, again, like, following, like, every procedure, and, like, you know, like, what's the protocol for something, so there are times yeah. when, you know, I, I question myself, I'm like, wait a second, should I, or should I not, yeah. and I think that's what RA struggle with, too. Yeah, but I will also say, just landed on the high note now, is um, I was in the inaugural cast and the second year cast of the reality show which is still going on like i yes i was part of the group of 10 people that developed that show with elizabeth Guedos, and we found out like started to find out what the heck this thing is and um being able to be an ra and have my knowing that my floor was there watching and that i was able to kind of give them a a fast pass into you know whether it be comedic or not a musical uh to give them a, a fast pass and so like Look, there's a lot of stuff you're going to deal with. And 
it's you know it's not all going to be taking ice cream, but it's also not all going to be as bad as you think it is. So at any mm-hmm. point, just reach out and talk to me, and and we'll keep going for there. You know, but that was that was a that was a pretty cool experience. Right? And you certainly left the tradition for NYU with the reality show because, like you said, it continues today. Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, Jordan Woods Robinson, thank you very much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. As always, thank you to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums and who are living the Dream School alumni version life. Jordan, it's a pleasure (laughs) to hear your voice again and to see how much reflection has continued to stay in your life. Thank you for joining us today, truly. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Say hello to New York. You know I will. Special thanks to my engineer, Colin McRae, our executive director, Duncan Lemieux, and executive producer, Shahara Ranasing, and to the current professional staff and alum of NYU like Brian Arau, who assisted these great RA alums in skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on the newly unveiled NYU RA alumni website at where-ra-now.webflow.io, which lists RA favorite books, pics of our favorite RA moments, and alumni accomplishments. Until next time, think about how you can reflect on your life and help others to meet their long-term dreams and aspirations.